Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Is it just a clean or is it a scale and root debridement? In this episode, I interview CJ on how to get that OHT clean feeling out of all of your patients. We look at the rationale as to why you need a good periodontal chart before you start whipping in there with an EMS. We look at ways to find calculus that your tutor always seems to find. And on top of that, we look at the age ranges from six-year-olds to 16-year-olds and what might the different challenges of trying to promote oral hygiene be in those age demographics. Stay tuned, everyone. When you're approaching or when you're sort of starting a, a periodontal chart or, you, you know, you're assessing a patient's periodontal needs, you know, a periodontal chart is such an important tool and aspect of clinical information that you, you need in order f- to accurately diagnose but order in also in order to sort of really know where to target your treatment and, you know, where disease is most severe. So I guess tips on how to make sure that you're doing a really accurate periodontal chart, a six-point chart. So you're going six points around each tooth. So you're doing your distal, buccal, labial, whatever, outer surface in the, the true buccal measurement, and then your mesial, and then you're repeating that from the palatal surface or the, the lingual surface there. So you're doing buccal and, and, and lingual or you know buccal palatal, and you're sort of doing mesials, true buccal, the true palatals and, and true distals are there as well. So you're getting that full measurement all around the tooth and probably also to work systematically. So if you're starting, for example, in quadrant one, you, you're going all the way around quadrant one on the buccal surfaces and then, you know, you might stop um, and then you might sort of move your chair around, you know, readjust your position there and then you might come from, uh, you know, the palatal surfaces of quadrant two and you might complete that quadrant in particular. You'll develop your own system, but I guess making sure that we're systematic. Not only is pocket depth important, it's really important to also record recession, vocation, bleeding, plaque scores, and any mobility as well of these teeth. I'll admit I'm no expert when it comes to perio <laughs> work. You know, I, I'm sure my um my perio tutors at university were probably sort of, you know, smacking their heads sort of listening to me say that. But, you know, it's really important to have an accurate periodontal chart because that is going to be key. Like a radiograph is for, you know, doing restorative treatment. It's like a map that really shows you where disease is. And it's that historical record as well. After you've done some treatment planning and, 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 and intervention there, when you're reevaluating and you're taking some new pocket depths at the appropriate time, you're then able to see has that treatment that you provided been effective? Have you had a reduction in readings? Has there been some resolution uh, in those areas? Or do you still need to target, you know, a more aggressive uh, treatment in those areas? Do you need to be, you know, are you missing some areas? Or do you need to consider referral to an appropriate practitioner there? Excellent. So now we've charted our measurements and we've decided that we're going to do a scale and root debridement. We've got a patient who says, oh, I've never had any issues with a clean before. I'll be fine. And then you touch it with the EMS and they jump with pain. And how, how do we go about trying to do a clean in a less painful way or be more gentle at least? Yeah. And I think that's a really good example because you'll have a lot of patients where, you know, if they've got really 
you know, deep pockets and, you, you know, you haven't done that full period chart and you're just jumping straight in with, a you know, an ultrasonic and you, you're going subgingival and, you, you know, they're getting that great deal of sensitivity, you know, it can throw them off guard and they go, oh, I've never had this, you know, what's what's going on? And they might think something's wrong. So that's where, you know, if you've got that, you know, if you've explained the disease to start with and you might have noticed that in your clinical exam and, and with your radiographs and you go, look, from these a diagnostic tools or from my clinical exam, I can see there is a level of disease. You know, I'd suggest we do a, a comprehensive periodontal exam or periodontal chart to, to really get an idea of how deep these readings are. And, you know, that can help formulate an accurate diagnosis of how severe this disease is. And then once you've got that, you can then refer to that tool and say, oh, look, you know, there are some really deep readings here. I think your periodontitis is a grade B, stage three, um, I'll admit I'm no expert with the new grading system as well. I, I trained with the, you know, generalise this and, you know, I think the students teach me more than I can teach them in, in that domain. But, you know, having that accurate tool to start with then helps to really inform and explain the patient. And, you know, often if you can see those really deep uh, readings, you might explain to them, you know, or how have you gone with a, you know, clean before? Have they have you had a deep clean underneath the gums before? You know, do you get a lot of cold sensitivity? And, and you can explain to them, in order to do a really accurate or sort of thorough debridement rather, under the gums, we need to use these instruments that might, you know, be going underneath the gums. Um, we might use a combination of our hand scalers and our ultrasonic, which is, you know, a lot of water and, and vibrations, and that can be uncomfortable. So, you know, for this particular area where it's really deep, I'd suggest that we might use some local anaesthetic to make sure it's really nice and numb and comfortable so that it's not causing you any discomfort. And that way that we can work effectively in, in making sure that we're removing as much, you know, build up underneath these uh, gums here so that we can get the best outcome for the area uh, for your gums there. And so sort of, you know, kind of combining with layman terms there and breaking it down for them. And so I guess once you sort of breaking it down for the patient, then you can sort of approach it in, okay, because the disease is quite severe and, you know, the buildup is quite tenacious, I think it might be appropriate that we break the, um, the mouth into a couple of parts here. So whether, you know, you might determine to do quadrant debridements or a, even, you know, approach the treatment in sextants as well if it's particularly tenacious. And, you know, there's lots of different factors that will determine how much you're going to accomplish. You know, you're going to be looking at the patient's medical history and, their, you know, the, are there any risk factors with, you know, that are, are going to exaggerate their bleeding? What's their compliance like? Have we got limited compliance? Do they, you know, get tired after long periods of time and you might also consider as well if they are maybe perhaps in a rural area and to get here it takes three hours to drive or you know you might sort of say look if you're feeling up for it we could do a longer appointment and we can you know have some breaks in between but then that way they might not have to you know come back in you know as, as often but I guess ideally you don't want to fatigue yourself and you don't want to fatigue your patient so trying to break up the appointments as best you can but yeah that's where it's really working with the patient to have that sort of patient-centered care so I mean we all know that it's not a cut and paste for everyone you're sort of working with the patient to form you know the right treatment plan for them. It's 2022 a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives so why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. 
a solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. You've mentioned quadrant cleans, particularly when a patient has severe periodontal disease. Do you, do you think that's, you wouldn't just want to numb the mouth all of the entire mouth, like in the one appointment. But as you mentioned that in a rural practice, that can be quite difficult. I guess, how do you go about explaining what a quadrant clean is and you know, trying to get that patient back for three other appointments? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess, you know, obviously we're not going to be really, well, we're going to avoid as best we can to be, you know, numbing a, a significant portion of the mouth and so you know if the patient might be particularly eager to get as much done in in as few appointments you might be able to sort of say look we could try and do maybe half your mouth at a time and numb up you know both quadrants on the same side so it's just one side of your mouth that's numb and you know you can explain the risks of a local anesthetic in what you provide with your post-operative instructions you're going to be numb on that side for several hours so you know it's really important that you're you know not having anything hot to, to eat or drink you know there's a risk of you know chewing on your cheek or your lip and you know we don't want to be you know numbing up your full face so that you know there's that risk of causing more injury I guess the other thing as well is you really want to sort of explain to them in order for us to do the best job and to sort of then be able to evaluate at subsequent appointments how the treatment is progressing it's good to sort of break these areas up into sections so you know most commonly with the anatomy it's it's achievable to do quadrants or quarters um you know breaking the mouth into into quarters and so you know to work from a a, you know a quadrant perspective or quadrant approach and then that way at subsequent appointments we can review not only how the treatment's going but any oral hygiene advice that we've been giving with interproximal cleaning aids any antiseptic mouth rinses that we might be prescribing for our patients to help sort of supplement and encourage a good healing response. Now we're well and truly into our clean and there's just that stubborn bit of calculus that just won't come off. What tips would you give for that last bit of calculus that my tutor always seems to find every time I ask for a clean check? Yeah, oh, I, I think, you know, that brings back the trauma of when I was a student as well. And, you know, you'd, you'd think you'd done a brilliant job and the tutor would come along with the 1112 Explorer and then they go, oh, click, click, click. No, nah, I can feel all this yeah. calculus here. What have you been doing for the past half an hour? And yeah, you feel yeah, so yeah. embarrassed. So, I mean, I remember we'd have to get to clinic really early and make sure that we sharpened our instruments you know, every morning before, you know, our day of of perio as well. So, you know, I guess that really emphasises really make sure that your hand instruments, your hand scalers are sharp. So, you know, checking with our resin stick to make sure the instruments are sharp using your correct sharpening equipment. So a sharpening stone, you can get some little handheld automatic sharpener appliances. You can get a sharpening um, card as well. And there's different sort of graininess or gripness. You'll use that to determine which tools are most appropriate in order to get sort of to the sharpest point for your uh, instrument there. Because if you, you know, I mean, we all know if we've got blunt instruments, we're going to be burnishing or there's that risk of burnishing the calculus and then it's really almost near impossible to get off. Combining, I guess, approach with using your ultrasonic and your hand scalers can be a good approach in making sure that you're really getting off any sort of tough, tenacious bits of calculus. And, you know, that's a, a, a prime example of when you want to be breaking up those appointments into quadrants or sextants if those areas are really tenacious because it's, it, you know, it, it will take time. And if they are particularly 
tenacious and, you know, and you just can't get them off. There's no harm in, you know, acknowledging that and disclosing that to the patient and saying, look, you know, I've been really trying hard here and this isn't budging and it's really tough and I don't think our non-surgical local methods are going to be enough here and that's where you might consider referring to, you know, the appropriate practitioner for, you know, more advanced treatments there to sort of further debride the areas. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. When a child walks in and the mother expects you to do a clean on them, what advice would you give in order to make it as comfortable as an experience for them as possible? Yeah, um, look, I mean, commonly we get sort of uh, parents will bring their kids in and, you know, they might sort of be used to a routine sort of scale and clean every six months. But, you know, it's really important to sort of use your own clinical judgment and evaluate whether or not it's actually necessary for the patient to have a scale and clean. And you might have some, you know, really low-risk kids that come in, you know, with a very clean dentition. And, you know, I guess then having to explain to the parent, look, I actually don't think that uh, a clean is required or, you know, in this appointment because the child's doing such a great job and you can show the parent, you can say, well, look, you know, having a look at the common areas where, you know, behind the tongue or the, on the lingual surface of the lower anteriors, you know, this is a common area where there's a high amount of, of, of calculus buildup and we can see here this child in particular is doing a brilliant job and there's not much there. But then conversely, you might have a lot of kids that just don't have that manual dexterity to get right on those, you know, the buckles of the, the maxillary molars or, you know, getting behind under the tongue. So, you know, you might also have those kids that are really missing it. So, when you when you do have those kids and you might need to, you know, spend a bit of time cleaning those areas, I guess making sure with kids you're giving them lots of breaks and knowing that every kid's going to be different. You might have some kids that uh, might be a little bit sensory as well and, and may have some sort of issues with the sound, with the light and with the noises associated of both the ultrasonic and the hand scalers as well. So, it's really important to kind of ask the parent, ask the child as well, is there any triggers? Some some kids might prefer the ultrasonic over the, the hand scalers, you know, that they might sort of find the waters a bit more fun and they might find the vibrations a little bit more tolerable and vice versa. Some might find that a little bit too overwhelming and they might prefer that the hand scaler. And as clinicians, you might take your own professional judgment to determine, okay, well, it's only a really small amount of supra gingival calculus, you know, that's going to be quick and easy 
uh, to remove with the hand scaler, whereas there might be a sort of a, a thick wall of <laughs> a calculus behind those lower interiors. And you know that in order to do, uh, you know, a more efficient job, we're going to be trying to get, you know, trying to get most of this off with the, um, you know, ultrasonic instruments there. I guess, yeah, you, you can make it fun, use your sort of kid-friendly terms. We're going to give these teeth a little bit of a massage, a bit of a back scratch. We're just going to, you know, shake off any of this sort of hard food that's stuck around. Or, you know, we're going to get our little water pistol here and we're going to give it a little blast here and we're going to spray off all the, you know, the, the, you know, the hard food that's stuck behind here. And, you know, if there's kids that you might identify that need a profi as well, you might say, oh, you know, have you used an electric toothbrush? And, you know, a lot of kids might say, oh, yeah, I've got my Frozen one, I've got my Spider-Man one. You can say, oh, look, I've got a pretty cool one here. It doesn't play music and it hasn't got Spider-Man on it. But you can pick, you know, all these different types of toothpaste. You might have different profi tastes and different flavors there and so the kids can sort of pick out and at least they've got a little bit of choice and they can feel empowered that oh, I've got a bit of a choice when it comes to the you know to, to visiting the dentist and I can sort of pick you know what flavors I want and I can sort of have some autonomy in, in, in decisions that I can make there and same that, I guess goes for fluoride as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah actually I think you brilliantly talked about you know how could how can you manage those those kids and the, the show and tell I'm curious in the age demographic of your kind of 12 to 16 age group as well that, you know, they're in their teenage years now. They don't want to be there. Why should they give us stuff about their oral hygiene? Do you find that there's any challenges with that age group? And would you offer any advice to, I guess, young clinicians? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've all <laughs> been there. We've all lived those ages and we know that, you know, we think the world's against us and, you know, yeah. we, we don't want to do anything. We just want to lie in bed. We want to, we want to yeah. sleep all day. And, yeah. Why is you know, mum taking me here? Yeah. 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 Any, yeah. Anything above 2 p.m. is too early. Like, you know, we should That's be right. sleeping. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's always hard to kind of communicate with patients of that particular age group. So I guess it's being understanding, working with them, you know, if there's changes that you identify that need to be Um, made with their oral hygiene or if you can see that you know we need to improve in some of these areas really sort of looking at small achievable really so I guess those smart goals so you know specific measurable achievable realistic and timely so something that's going to be really sort of small simple and easy for these patients so you know if it's you know we're only brushing a couple of times a week you know okay can we increase that by one extra time a week Um, and then slowly building on that you know, identifying perhaps their routine. Do you go to, you know, are you waking up at 2 p.m. and then you're going to bed at 3 a.m.? Or, you know, are you up gaming, you know, all night and then you're so tired that, you you know, you don't want to brush before you go to bed? Okay, well, how can we work around that? How about before you turn on, you know, your Nintendo Switch or whatever, your Xbox, you know, let's see if you can just brush your teeth first. Um, just have water by your gaming station let's put the Mountain Dew away or something for that period of time um, and just work with those sort of smaller, you know, achievable goals. You know, they might, you might you say... You bring up a... Sorry, I, I just yeah. think you bring up such a good point that I think for a lot of teenagers, you know, that are mostly fit and healthy, you're likely to be the only health professional that they hear this advice from besides, you know, I mean, they, they'll hear it from their parents, but I think that's a really good opportunity to be the person that, that kind of really highlights those things to them. Yeah. And I 
think a lot of lot of teenagers tend to be quite healthy as well. So, you know, they might not be visiting a lot of other health professionals. They might not be needing to see their GP as frequently. So, um, you know, it's really important not only to overwhelm them and overburden them, but sort of when the opportunity arises, sort of try to provide some education, not just with with oral health, but also, you know, your broader health. So, you know, you might be covering a little bit in diet there and sort of, you know, explaining the role of, you know, soft drinks on uh, not only your, you know, your oral health, but your general health as well, and maybe opting for a sugar-free alternative, drinking with straw, you know, always trying to preference tap water, you know, and really hammering home that, you know, the benefits of fluoridated tap water, sugary snacks, and then sometimes you might have your patients that are of those later teenage years disclosed to you that, you know, oh, you know, well, we have, you know, the um, vodka cruises or something with a lot of sugar yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. And you might be in that unique position. Perhaps if you're taking your radiographs off, they might disclose to you um, some things about, you know, smoking status and, you know, alcohol or drug use as well. So when it's that sort of a private conversations, that's where you can give them some sort of small, simple take-homes as well of, okay, well, look, you, I'm sure you've heard it all before of, you know, why smoking's not good for, you know, your overall health, but, you know, some key things about, you know, teeth, you know, can increase the risk of, you know, periodontal disease or gum disease and, you know, risk of um, tooth decay. And you can say things like, oh, you know, I can stain your teeth and this and that, the other. And I'm, I'm sure you know about your, your general health with your heart and your lungs as well. And, yeah, tongue piercings as well. I think that's a common yeah. thing, uh, uh, you know, for this population oh, please, as well. please, please. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, you know, that's where you can really give them those small tips of advice of, okay, you know, by having a tongue piercing, we're going to have increased risk of, of, of chipping to um, those front teeth, especially the lower anteriors. You can have your, your gums being stripped back a little bit and some localised recession there. So, you know, ideally, if you not have one, that's great. But, you know, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. But the best thing to reduce or minimise damage to um, your teeth and the supporting structures will be substituting the metallic bar for a plastic end. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is certainly a topic we don't really touch on in dental school. That's so interesting. Like that, everything you just said is so interesting. A- any any final things you want to get out there at all? Uh, oh, I think the only thing is, uh, I guess, especially for the new graduates, and you're probably already finding it, you, and uh, I don't know when this will be released, but your first six months will be the, you know, the steepest learning curve of your life. And, you know, you'll learn so much in those first six months of practice than you'll have learnt in, you know, your years of dental school. Um, you know, it's it's such a uh, whirlwind experience, but hold on as best you can and, you know, take all learning opportunities um, or take all, I guess, opportunities as a learning opportunity, the good and the bad, um, you know, and it's okay to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes and, you know, it's through those mistakes we can self-reflect and identify, okay, you know, what could I have done better in that appointment? You know, what what did I do well? And, you know, with those areas that perhaps I didn't do quite as well, um, what strategies can I put in place for next time that I can improve upon so that the appointment might not unfold in that same way or, you know, the treatment that I'm providing might not have the same outcome? And, you know, we... I think regardless if you're a dentist, you're an oral health therapist, a hygienist or therapist, you know, you can all put those practices in place. But don't be afraid to reach out for advice from, you know, a mentor, a more experienced clinician. They've been through it. They've lived, they've, you know, living proof, proof that you can get through it. Um, yes, and, yes. you know, they would have all made those same mistakes as well. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask them for help. If you're 
a partway through a procedure and you think, you know what, I think this is just a little bit out of my depth or I've only done one of these at uni and, you know, I just want to make sure I'm on the right track. Don't be afraid to sort of, you know, get some help from a more experienced clinician and your patients will be appreciative and grateful. And you can just sort of say, oh, look, I've just noticed something particularly unusual here. Um, I think it might be good to have a second set of eyes here or, you know what, I I just want to get someone else's advice here. You know, it's looking a little bit more complex or, yeah, just you can word it in a way that, oh, look, it just looks a bit out of the ordinary and just for my sake, I'd like to have someone else have a look at this just to make sure that, it, you know, it's, it's okay or, you know, that we're on the right track and, you know, they're going to appreciate that you're taking the effort to make sure that you're delivering the best care that you can. Whoa, what was that? Everyone, I would like to announce that we are now hiring. Do you want to work with the Dental Head Start podcast team? Keep in touch with our social media as we're posting a job offer very soon. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.